we're going to spend some time in prayer. So let's pray. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Lord, being outside last night and seeing the moon and the, and, and the sky, you have made a beautiful, beautiful universe and we praise you. Walking out today and seeing a spectacular day, thank you for this beautiful day. You are our creator and when we had gone astray, you are our savior. There is nowhere we'd rather be than in your presence worshiping you. Lord, we are a needy people, and you know our needs, and pray that as we worship you, you would meet our needs. Oh, we're so thankful you've left us your word, that you've left your spirit here. Lord, as we open your word together today, Holy Spirit, teach us, help us to fall more and more in love with Jesus. Lord, we're praying for revival. Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? As we spend time with you today, revive us. May we leave here more in love with you than when we came. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Did, did you know that Jesus has a plan for changing the world? Did you know that? And you know what his plan is? His plan is you and I, we are his plan. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gathered his disciples together and he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus said the way that the world would be changed, would, that Jesus would change hearts and they would go and share with others and Jesus would change their hearts and nations would be changed through the changing of hearts. There's a couple of documents on your uh, chairs, if you weren't here last week, that one of them is the study and if you're new here, we, we really want to make disciples, and, and the study is a disciple-making tool, and love for you to take it with you. There's a place in here for message notes. Maybe you've never read through the Bible. Won't you join us this year? We're going to read through the New Testament together. We do it every year, four days a week, and you can read through the New Testament with others in the church and be discovering the same things. If you've done that for a few weeks, there's also an opportunity to read through the Old Testament with us as well. Uh, you can take that, and, um, and, and it's meant to help you be a disciple and make disciples. And then there's also a um, strategic plan. If you weren't here last week, that uh, we want to bear more fruit as a church. And we formed a team last year and, and really prayed and developed a plan that we wanted to share with you. Our purpose as a church is to make disciples together. And we believe that a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And so our vision is that three years from now, we would be more in love with Jesus than we are now. That we would be a church where people are excited about worshiping in Jesus and following Him because they love Him. That we would be a church where we love one another, we love being together and serving one another and being served. That we would be a church that loves the lost and more and more of us would be winning lost people to Christ than ever before. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that? And so we have five strategic goals that we're, we're really working for. And I want you to take this with you and pray and ask God, how could you be a part? How could you be a part of creating a culture that is reproducing disciple makers and, and, and leadership and unity, working together and engagement, and, and we want to improve our communication. So take it with you and, and listen, pray, and ask the Lord how you could be a part of that. And to help us accomplish our plan, we're walking through 1 Timothy together. 
Uh, we're walking through the book of First Timothy, and we started last week, and uh, what we learned last week, I mean previously on First Timothy, what we learned last week is that Paul wrote this letter to his disciple named Timothy, and we learned that Timothy is Paul's true child of the faith. And Paul would make disciples the way Jesus did. He would win lost people, and then he would build them, and then he would equip them, and he would multiply. He would send them out to do the same. And uh, that's where we pick up the story. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy 1. And if you don't, bring one. Uh, it's God's Word. And the point, the point of our message today, what we're going to learn, is the goal of our disciple-making is love. The goal of our disciple-making is love. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. Um, Listen, Paul planted the church in Ephesus. He, he left uh, Timothy there because there were false teachers there. And the false teachers loved to talk about everything. They loved to talk about everything but the Bible. And uh, Paul says, all this talk doesn't advance the gospel in the world, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul says, the goal of our instruction is love. The goal of our di disciple-making is loving. What I'm praying for you, what I'm praying is because we're here today, you leave here more in love with Jesus than when you came. That when you leave here today, you're more in love with one another than when you came. That when you leave, you're more in love with lost people. You want to go and share with everyone what you've heard because the goal of our disciple-making is love. For some men, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. <laughs> Don't you love that? Listen, there's all these people, and they want to be experts, and they claim to be experts, but they have no idea what they're talking about. Don't we have a lot of people like that in our culture today? I mean, they claim to be experts, but what? They have no idea what they're talking about. Um, but we know that the law is good if it is used lawfully. So many of the teachers, they, they would handle God's law unlawfully. And what Paul says, the law is good. The law is good if it's used lawfully. So I want to help you understand some things about the law, and I know I've taught you this before, but you've forgotten them. So this time I'm going to teach you, and if you want to remember, you go and teach someone else what I teach you, and if you'll teach someone else what I teach you, then you'll remember it. The law can be many things when it's speaking about the Older Testament. First of all, the law refers to the first five books of the Bible. It's called the law. Sometimes we call it the books of Moses, but it's the law. The Older Testament is divided into the Law and the Prophets. There's different sections in the library. Or you might say the Law in History and Wisdom and the Prophets. But the Law can refer to the first five books in the Bible. 
in the Older Testament, in the first five books, there's three kinds of law. There's three kinds of law. And the first kind of law that we see in the Older Testament is the ceremonial law. If you read through the Bible, you get to Exodus, Leviticus, there's all these sacrifices. The purpose of the sacrifices was to point to Christ. The sacrifices showed that the penalty for sin is death and that the blood of animals could never take away our sin. And what we needed was someone. We needed Jesus to die for our sins. So all the ceremonial laws pointed to Jesus were fulfilled in Jesus, and that's why we don't offer sacrifices anymore. Secondly, in the Older Testament, you have civic law or you have judicial law. <clears throat> Israel was a nation, and so there were laws, case laws given that if you murder someone, here's the penalty. If you steal from someone, here's the penalty. We are not Israel, so these laws do not directly impact us, but our founding fathers quoted from the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book because they believed that these were the laws that God gave to Israel. There were much we could learn from those laws. And then thirdly, we have the moral law, the moral law, which is summed up in the Ten Commandments, and the moral law defines for us right from wrong, right from wrong. Okay, with me so far? Law can refer to the first five books. When you talk about law, there's three kinds, so we need to be careful. There's the ceremonial, there's the civic, and there's the moral. And when we come to the moral law, there's three kinds of law. There's three lawful uses of the law. Three lawful uses of the moral law. And the first is to be a tutor. And that is the law helps lead us to faith in Christ. Let me show you that in Galatians <clears throat> In Galatians 3, therefore the law has become our, what, our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Most of us overestimate our goodness. Wouldn't that be true? That we imagine that we are better than we really are. And so when you look at the Ten Commandments, you go, wow, I'm not nearly as good as I thought. I really do need a Savior. And that's why it was given, to show us our sin so we would run to Jesus and say, I need a Savior, save me. And so the law is very helpful in evangelism. When we're sharing the gospel with someone and they say that God's going to let them into heaven because they're so good and we want them to understand the bad news, we might say, have you ever made a decision without putting God first? In growing up, did you ever disobey your parents? In your whole life, have you ever told a lie? You see, the law exposes our sin so that we recognize how much we need a Savior. Uh, that's, the, um, that's the use of the law as the tutor. Now, the next use of the law, a lawful use, is the law describes a beautiful life. What kind of life would lead to human flourishing? What would a beautiful human life look like? The, the Ten Commandments reveal what human flourishing would look like. Well, let me show you something in, in Exodus chapter 20. And you do know the, the law is found in two places. It's found in Exodus 20. It's also found in, thank you, Deuteronomy. You know what Deuteronomy means? Deuter is to nomosis law. So Moses figured he, when he's about to die, people had forgotten everything he had said, so he tells them again. So the Ten Commandments are found in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, and uh, notice how it begins. 
Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I have redeemed you. Then he gives them the Ten Commandments. Don't miss this. They were slaves. They cried out. God didn't come, give them the Ten Commandments and say, if you keep these every day for two years, then I'll lead you out of Egypt. No, first he saved them. First he redeemed them. First he brought them out of slavery. And then he said, these are my laws that lead to a beautiful life. These lead to human flourishing. So sometimes people will say, well, Smiley, is it good to keep the Ten Commandments? Is it good to keep... And what would you say? You say, yes, I would say depends. If you're trying to keep the Ten Commandments to make yourself beautiful to God, it's a really bad idea. It will either crush you because you're not very good at it, or it will fill you with pride that you think you're so good and can't want, you can't figure out why others aren't as good as you are. Oh... But if Jesus has rescued you out of slavery and you believe that it's the way to live a beautiful life and then you follow them, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Matter of fact, look at what 1 John says about that. This is so good. For this is the love of God. Do you love Jesus? Do you, has he captured your heart? Do you say, I want to follow him? For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and they're not burdensome. You know why? Because we know our acceptance before God isn't based on keeping them. He's captured our hearts. So we gladly give Him our hands and feet, and it's our delight to follow Him. So, with the moral law, the first use to use it lawfully is the tutor that leads us to faith in Christ by showing us our sin. Secondly, it describes the beautiful life for us. You want human flourishing? Here's what it looks like. And then the third use of the moral law is the common good. The common good, and the common good is that it restrains evil in society. Uh, when, when people know that behind our civil government saying, you shall not murder, we know that God says you shall not murder, right? It, it makes us want to obey the civil government, right? And when we know behind the civil government saying, you shall not steal, God said you shall not steal, then it makes us want to obey the civil government war, right? Because it helps to restrain evil in society. Matter of fact, see here? See, these are the Ten Commandments. They hang in my office now. But at one time, you know where they hung these very commandments? They were in a classroom in Kentucky. Someone from Kentucky gave them to me. They took them down. Do you know why they took them down? A judge said, listen to this, a judge said that if you look at them, if students looked at them, they might feel compelled to keep them. That would be awful, wouldn't it? That students might feel compelled to put God first in their lives. That students might be compelled to love their father and mother or their coach or their teacher that students might be compelled not to murder or to steal or lie. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Oh, Listen, when we know behind the civil government's laws, they rest on God's laws, it helps to compel. It helps to control evil in a society. So, I taught you a lot. That was a lot of theology. And by the way, that was free, okay? The first five books in the Bible, there's three kinds of law, and there's three uses of the moral law. And I really believe that 
it's the, um, the moral law that he's talking about right here, and he's going to use the law here both to convict us of our sin and to show us what the beautiful life looks like. Um, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. He's really talking about the first four commandments. Uh, that's what he's talking about here, those that don't put God first, those who use God's name in vain, for those who kill their fathers or mothers. Now he's talking about those who break the fifth and the sixth commandment. They're not honoring their fathers and mothers, and they're murdering, right? For those who um, kill their fathers and mothers, um, and immoral men and homosexuals. And now he's talking about those who break the seventh commandment, those who engage in premarital or extramarital or homosexual sex. Listen, he's saying they're breaking the seventh commandment. And kidnappers, kidnappers, they're breaking the eighth, right? They're stealing. They're stealing people. Uh, and liars and perjurers, those who swear falsely, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So, so God gives us His law to expose our sin so that we would know we need a Savior. And when we have a Savior, it reveals to us how to live a beautiful life. And now, man, I found something this week, and I'm so excited to share it with you. It's so good. It's so great to be a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time, but I still discover things I haven't seen before. And you're going to be really excited about this. What is the sound teaching? According to the glorious, the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I've been, we've been entrusted with a treasure, something that's glorious, and it's going to blow your mind. It's the glorious gospel of the happy God. It's the glorious gospel of the happy. See the word blessed? It's the Greek word makarios, which means happy. What this verse says is the gospel we have is that our God is a God who's infinitely happy. And you know why that's so important? Because in the ancient world, gods were grumpy. In the ancient world, gods were grumpy, and the whole purpose of worship was to cheer up a grumpy God. Because when God was grumpy, then life was miserable. But when you made the grumpy God happy, then things went better. So people's whole lives were trying to make a grumpy God happy. And Paul says, we've been entrusted with the most amazing news ever, that our God is infinitely happy, and He made us to enjoy Him. The glorious gospel of the... How many happy Christians do you meet? Do you see them walking around with a smile on their face? Because they believe that they are following the happy God in an unhappy world. Um, I mean, listen, God didn't need us. He was happy. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love. But there was so much love and so much joy in the Godhead that God decided to expand the family and include us. That's why he made us in his image. The closest thing to that would be parents. Now, young people, I know sometimes you think about your parents like we think about God. They had you to make you miserable, right? But that's not it. It's not true with parents. Well, 
not with most parents, and it's certainly not true with God. Listen, Karen and I were not unhappy with our children. It's not like we said, let's have kids to make them unhappy, or, or, or we need them to make us happy. No, no. We were full of love and joy, and we decided to expand and expand and expand the family, right? Oh, And even when we had disobeyed God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided to work together to restore the happiness we lost in the fall. And so the Father developed a plan to restore our happiness, and the Son carried it out, and the Spirit applies it. Listen, the gospel, the glorious gospel is that Jesus invites us to do life with a happy God, life and eternity with a happy God. Do you know what keeps us from happiness? It's the bad news of the gospel. It's sin. It's our sin that keeps us from happiness. Do you know what sin is? Sin is believing that we know the path to happiness better than God. And so God says, honor your father and mother. And we say, that's a good idea, but I've got a better idea. And we disobey. And God says, sex belongs in marriage. And we say, that's a good idea, but we got a better idea. And we disobey. And God says, the way to be happy is to, to tell the truth. And we say, that's a good idea, but I've got a better idea. And we lie. And so we sin against God over and over again. And we are separated from the one who is love, who is joy, who is happiness. And if we continue our rebellion, the Bible says that we'll be separated from God and from all good things forever because that's what hell is. But here's the good news. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. Next week, oh, you've got to come back. We're going to unpack this verse next week. But verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus didn't come to help good people get better. He came because people were separated from God and they would be forever. So he came to seek and save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth and lived a perfect life for us and went to the cross and died in our place. Our sin placed on him, he died, experiencing the penalty our sins deserved, crying out when he had finished that it's finished, it's paid in full. And he died on the third day he rose. And Jesus offers us salvation. That's a free gift. What is salvation? It, it, it's salvation from what? From the guilt of our sin. It's salvation from being unhappy because we're doing life and eternity without God. It's salvation for forgiveness, for the opportunity to do life and eternity with the God who is infinitely happy. And how do we get this gift of salvation? It's through faith, isn't it? In John 10, verse 9, I am the door. Listen, if you're looking for happiness now and forever, Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the one you need to enter. If anyone enters through me, if anyone believes in me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Enter through me. And listen, and be reasonably happy in this life and be supremely happy in the life to come. Find pasture, find real life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Oh. Have you ever entered through the door? Listen, 
Would you like to be saved from, from, from your sin? Would you like to be saved to be reasonably happy in this broken world and supremely happy in the life to come? Jesus says, then believe in me. Believe in me, won't you? Um, entering through the door, believing in Jesus really is as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, you can do this now, or I'd be glad to assist you when we pray, but it starts when we admit, Jesus, I've gone my own way. I thought I knew better than you the path to happiness, and, and I've sinned, and I'm sorry. And then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And, and then we commit to Jesus as Savior. And Lord, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord. You're wiser than me. You know the path to happiness better than me, so I want to follow you. I want you to be Lord of my life. Won't you? And if you have, don't you hear what the passage says? I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. Smile, you're saved. And go in and out and find pasture. Be thankful. You've entered through the door. There's the pasture for you. Eat and enjoy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Are you enjoying it? Oh, listen, when Jesus moves in, he says, listen, follow me, follow me. I've, I've got a path of happiness for you. Jesus says, move in. And you know what? To help us, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit says he's wiser than you. He knows the path to happiness better than you. Follow him. Oh. See, Jesus says we have a happiness problem. He does. In, in John 15, verse 11, and, and our problem's not what you think. You know, the problem with most of us, we think we're just like the little kid. The little kid was asked, who's God? And he says, well, God's someone who sits up in heaven, and he looks around to see if anyone's having fun. And if he sees anyone having, having fun, he makes them stop. Now, we would not say that, but that is what we think. And what repentance is, is changing our thinking. Changing our thinking. Now, notice what it says here. Jesus says our problem's not too much happiness. It's not enough. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. <laughs> but, 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 but I thought God wanted us to be holy and not happy. Anybody see what's wrong with that question? What's wrong with that question? What is it? That you assume that you're either holy or happy, Right? And then if you're holy, you wouldn't be happy. Or if you were happy, you wouldn't be There's a problem with that question, isn't it? Because I want you to know that God is infinitely holy. And God is infinitely happy at the same time. Isn't that true? That's the glory of the gospel is our God is an infinitely holy and happy God. Not convinced? Um, how many people ever kept the Ten Commandments? How many? Just one. His name is? Jesus, and didn't he model for us how to be holy and happy, didn't he? I mean, what was his first miracle? It was what? What was it? It was turning water to wine. Why? To keep the party going, wasn't it? What did they accuse Jesus of? Of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. Why? Why? Because he had too much fun. All the religious people were miserable. Listen, Jesus said in John 15, our problem's not too much, joy is not enough. The fruit of the Spirit is love, what? Joy. What if we believe that? Still not convinced? Hmm. Welcome to St. Augustine. 
Everyone puts God first. Children honor their father and mother, their teacher, their coach, their pastor. Listen, there are no murders here. No one even calls each other names. Listen, sex is reserved for marriage. A woman can walk the street any time, day or night, and she's not worried about being raped. No one locks their doors because no one steals. When people tell you something, they do it because no one lies. Wouldn't that be a wonderful place to live, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be both holy and happy, wouldn't it? Oh, oh. what would happen in the midst of an un happy culture, there were people who had discovered a treasure, the glorious gospel of the happy God. And they were stewards, and they preached it to themselves, and then they shared it with others. Um, so, so what have we learned so far? We've learned that the goal of our disciple-making is love. It's love. And and so our action step for this week uh, is going to be that we would love Jesus, love one another, and love the lost. I mean, is that cool or what? I mean, our assignment is simply to love, right? Isn't that exactly what verse four says, or verse five? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So, love Jesus, love one another, love. Well, so how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we can only love when we've been loved. And we can only love to the extent that we've been loved. So if we want to love Jesus, we need to let him love us first. If we want to love one another, we need to let him love us first. If we want to love lost people, we need to let him love us first. And look at 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. So how can we love Jesus and love one another and love the lost? By preaching the gospel to ourselves, the glorious gospel of the happy God, to ourselves, to our own face first, and then to others. Isn't that what verse 11 is? According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, you say, how do you do that? Oh, over and over in my life, I'm continually saying, Jesus knows the path to happiness better than I do. Follow him. Jesus knows the path to happiness better than I do. Follow Him. Holy Spirit, help me to believe that because the Holy Spirit wants us to know that Jesus knows the path to happiness better than we do. That's why we follow Him, because He invites us to do life and eternity with the happy God. And what would it look like? What would it look like if we pursued our happiness in loving Jesus? What would it look like? What would it look like if we pursued our happiness in loving one another? What would it look like if we pursued our happiness in loving lost people? Oh, it would be so beautiful. Let me show you what it would look like if we pursued our love, or pursued our happiness in loving Jesus. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Have you met Jesus? Have you met my Jesus? He's treasure. He's the treasure. He's not the one that helps us get treasure. Jesus is the treasure. Have you met him? Is he your treasure? Is he your must-have? Is he your first love? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. 
hidden in a field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Did he say it's too expensive? No, he sold everything. Did he have to? He wanted to. Why? He found treasure. Oh, what would our lives be like? What would our church be like if Jesus was our treasure? Oh. Listen, if Jesus is our treasure, worshiping Him will be our pleasure. Can you imagine what Sunday would be like if we loved Jesus, if we were pursuing our treasure in Him? Wouldn't we come early? Wouldn't we be excited about singing to Him and singing to one another? Because He's our treasure. And what would Monday look like? When Jesus is our treasure, following Him will be our pleasure. When we believe that Jesus knows the path to happiness better than we do, then following Him is our pleasure. Oh, that's what I'm praying for and dreaming about a church filled with people who are pursuing their happiness by loving Jesus. What would it look like? What would it look like to pursue our happiness and loving one another? What would that look like? Uh, Doesn't Jesus show us what it would look like? Uh, In Matthew 13, or in John 13, um, this passage is so good. It's the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples. Uh, Now before the feast of the Passover, verse 1, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that amazing? He loved his own who were in the world. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to love my wife and I want to love her to the end. And I want to love my children and my grandchildren, and I want to love them to the end. Don't you? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what would really make you happy? And I want to love you as a church, and I want to love you to the end, because Jesus shows us that's how to be happy. That's how to be happy is to love and love to the end. And then he shows us how. He washed their feet. The Creator washed the disciples' feet. And then He said, If I then the Lord and the Teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church where we outdid one another in serving one another the way Christ has served us? Oh, and here's the best. Listen, don't miss this. If you know these things, you are blessed. And we just learned what does that word mean? Happy. If you know these things, you are happy if you do them. Do you know if you want to be happy, you're not as happy as you want to be? Jesus says there's opportunities all around you. There's dirty feet and proud hearts all around the church, just like they were with Jesus. But we think being served makes us happy. Jesus says, no, it's serving others like he serves us. That's what makes us happy. Do you know in our children's ministry... There are so many opportunities for you to pursue your happiness, to watch children, to teach children, to help parents disciple them. Do you know in our student ministry, do you know in our welcome team ministry, there's, so, there's opportunities everywhere for you to pursue your happiness just like Jesus did by serving others the way he served you. Do you know there's countless opportunities for you to pursue your happiness in leading a small group because there's so many people who need a small group and not enough. What if you pursued your joy in washing the feet of those in your small group the way Jesus washed you? Isn't that what he said? If you know these things, you are what? If you do them. Wow, wouldn't that be great?
That's what it would look like to love Jesus and love one another. What would it look like to love the lost? Doesn't Jesus show us what it would look like? I love John 4. They, Jesus goes through Samaria. Uh, the disciples would never go through there because they hated Samaritans. Jesus sends the disciples into town to buy some bread. And Jesus wins to Christ an immoral uh, Samaritan woman. And uh, then the disciples come back. Verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Uh, man, there is something that makes me happier than food. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I like to eat, so it must be really good, right? So the disciples were saying to one another, no one bought him any, brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus says, you know what makes me happy? Happier than anything in the world it's to see dead people come to life. It's to be lost, see lost people that are saved. My food, what makes me so happy is to do the will of my Father, to, to save His people. Did you, do you not say there are yet uh, four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, and lift up your eyes on the, and look on the fields that they are white for the harvest. This one lady goes into town and all these people... They're all coming to faith in Jesus' home. Last night, Karen and I were having dinner, and uh, this couple who, who used to come to Good News, they've moved away, and they said they, they moved away because there's too many people in St. Augustine. And I couldn't help but think how different Jesus sees people than us. Jesus is bringing all these people here for our happiness. Did you know that? He's bringing them here for our happiness because our food, when we're like Jesus, our greatest delight in life is that we have the opportunity to introduce other people to the happy God. Um, it's a new year, and, uh, and I'm so excited that on this, uh, like one weekend, we saw four people this week put their faith in Christ, and I, I give God thanks for that. And you know what's even better than that? What's even better than that is four different people had the time of their life introducing someone to faith in Christ. And last year, we were praying that we would double from 21 to 42. We went to 46. And so this year, we're praying for, for 92 people to have that joy. Do you want more joy than you ever imagined? Those four people could not contain their happiness as they shared with me how they had an opportunity to share the gospel and Jesus used them to see someone else move from death to life. Let me ask you, who do you know? Who do you know who, who really needs to hear what we taught about today? Won't you go and share with them? Hey, could I share with you? What we learned in church today, we learned about Jesus and how he invites us to follow the happy God and to do life and eternity with the happy God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think this whole week someone will tell you something they're unhappy about? You think anybody will complain about the president or our country or the world or their pastor? What if... When someone talks about how unhappy they are about something in our country or whatever, you say, could I share with you what we learned about in church? We learned that God is infinitely happy 
And he invites us to do life and eternity with a happy God. Do you think anybody would listen in? Um, so, so what have we learned? We learned that, uh, that the goal of disciple-making, the goal of our disciple-making is love. That's what we learned. And, and our action step for this week is to love Jesus, to love one another, and love the lost. And, and, and I, I want you to, to ask you to do something that if you would like, if you would like to be equipped, to be a disciple maker. If you would like to be equipped to be able to win people to faith in Christ and then build and equip them and multiply them so that they can go another, so that we can see our county change and our country change one heart at a time, if you would like to be a difference maker rather than just a complainer, we would love the opportunity to equip you. Many of you signed up last week, but listen, we're going to start in February. We're going to start in February a new wave of discipling people who can make disciples. And if you'd like to be a part of that new wave, would you mark that on your card? We'd love the opportunity to help you um, because I want to infect you with what I discovered this week, the glorious gospel of the happy God. And I believe with all my heart that if you will follow Jesus, we can expect that by following Jesus, we will be reasonably happy in this life. And one of the reasons we'll be reasonably happy in this life is we know something better is coming. The reason we're able to be reasonably happy in this life is we know that we're going to be supremely happy in the life to come. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you saw broken, unhappy, miserable people, and so you came. You came to restore that joy and love that we once had and lost. Thank you for living and dying and rising so that, so that we could, could do life and eternity with you. And listen, if you're here and you've been going your own way and it's not working out too well, maybe for the first time you've understood the gospel, won't you believe in Jesus? Won't you enter through the door and be saved? I mean, won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And uh, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you moved in and you said we have a joy problem, not too much, but not enough. And I thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit so that we can follow you, so that we can bear fruit, the fruit of love and joy. Lord, I pray this week that we would pursue our happiness in loving you. Lord, this week, help us to pursue our happiness in loving one another, in serving the one another the way you have served us. Lord, I pray this week that we would pursue our joy in loving the lost, in sharing with them the incredible good news that our God is infinitely happy and wants to make us happy too. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us again, please? Come on, you weary, come on, you thirsty, come to the well 
Thanks so much for coming. We, we'd love to see you next Sunday. I want to fill you up uh, uh, with joy and happiness, okay? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.